WERU health-related programming is made possible in part by the Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, providing comprehensive reproductive and sexual health services for all women of all ages at all stages since 1984. Insurance, main care, Deergo, and self-pay accepted. MabelWadsworth.org. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with your host Rhonda Feynman is up next. Good morning, I'm Rhonda Feynman and this is Healthy Options and uh, this is WERU. Today's Healthy Options program is on financial health. Our topic is very timely. It's about staying present in the moment with money, how we can gain and maintain clarity in our financial lives and not succumb to fear, no matter how our finances may be adding up right now. In a moment, we'll be speaking with Ruth Hayden, who is nationally recognized as a financial consultant, educator, and author. She's uh, president of Ruth L. Hayden and Associates, Inc., a consulting and educational company based in St. Paul, Minnesota. And as an educator, she's known for her financial innovation starting in the early 1980s when she identified the relationship between our, between our emotions and money. Nowadays, this is called behavioral finance, so uh, Ruth is truly a woman ahead of her time. She's the author of four books. The most recent among them is Your Money Life, it, The Make It Work Workbook, which is a hands-on approach to learning about money. She's published Start Where You Are, A Retirement Planning in a Changing World, a Pragmatic and Holistic Guide to Planning the Retirement You Want. And over, for over 29 years, Ruth Hayden has taught classes that challenge women to take charge of their lives as knowledgeable, strong, and focused women. Her Women in Money courses inspired the book entitled How to Turn Your Money Life Around, The Money Book for Women. She teaches classes for couples on how to manage the money issues that often arise in relationships, providing the basis for her book for Richer, Not Poorer, The Money Book for Couples. She's won many awards for her books and classes, and we could spend the whole hour discussing these accomplishments. But let's just mention one recent one. This October, Ruth Hayden received the Women Venture Lifetime Achievement Award, which acknowledged her as a longtime contributor to the advancement of women's economic prosperity and a leader whose efforts have had a lasting impact on the financial welfare of women. She has been quoted, that we could just go on and on, in numerous national publications. She's a frequent guest and commentator on Minnesota Public Radio and beyond. Here we are on uh, WERU. And has been, uh, we've been honored to have her guest as a guest here before, a number, number of years ago, and it was time for uh, revisiting what's, uh, what, what um, in light of all the uh, changes that have happened in the last five years or so. And uh, Ruth Hayden, welcome to Healthy Options. Good morning. Thank you. Yes. Glad to be here. Great. Gracious. Uh, I, that is quite a bio. You could ignore most of it. I know. I just want <laughs> the need so to read it to all. I'm on the radio. This is good. This is good. It's a good teaching moment, Rhonda. Uh, is that okay? Okay. Oh, perfect. And we perfect, want to read perfect. the rest of it. It's at ruthhayden.com. Okay. I and did tell the people that gave me the award for the lifetime achievement that I thought I was way too young for that. So, <laughs> I was actually going to say the one. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Good to be with you this morning, Rhonda. Thank you. And uh, let's, uh, let's dive in. You know, um, yes. there's so many ways to, to, to approach this. Let's just start with this idea of, of staying present in the moment to, to mm-hmm. finances. What's, what does that mean? Staying present in the moment. You know, we talk a lot about consciousness in this society, 
in every area but money. And what I am suggesting is that we need to bring that present-day conscious mentality to money, too. When it comes to money, we just use our credit cards and we kind of go a little numb and we just do what we think we need to do or we want to do, and we don't think about consequences, we don't think about impact until there's a problem. And what I'm suggesting is that we talk about it in a way that in the moment we make conscious decisions so we don't have a negative impact, even when times are hard. In fact, that's a perfect time to practice it, just to pay attention. You know, they've done, I'm fascinated by the new brain studies, and they've done brain studies that when you are present and and cash, using cash as a spending tool, it forces you to be present because you can't make a mistake. If I have... $80 in my hand, and I'm in a store shopping. I have to make sure that I stay within that $80. I have to stay present. So no matter what kind of music, no matter what kind of chaos, no matter what kind of marketing strategies, I have to stay present because I have to keep my spending within the $80. And they've done studies on the brain that when you are spending with cash, you are aware and alert There's a part of the brain that lights up. It's called the insula, I-N-S-U-L-A. It lights up. And if you're using a credit card and not paying attention and are unconscious, an entirely different part of the brain lights up. So not only does it affect how we feel about ourselves, it actually is a different brain function. How about that for a long answer? Well, that's a great answer. You know, there there are, again, uh, so many different directions to go with this. Um, If, um, you know, there's so many, there's a substantial number of people here in Maine uh, who are on public assistance in some form, and we've just, uh, uh, our governor is is interested in... um, in cutting a lot of the safety nets. Um, Mm -hmm. But the reality is that um, we're dealing with... um, we're dealing with a, a, a reality that may be different than it was five years ago in terms of who these people are. So how do we stay present even in, in a situation where we're having to make not necess- you know, other kinds of choices about, uh, about how, how, um, how we live? How, how do we not get into the whole fear? We, we read about these things, and, and it all becomes... You know, this is terrible, that's terrible. But how on a day-to-day basis would you recommend that that, uh, our listeners start thinking about this and start practicing? That is such a good question, and I want to make sure that as we talk about it now, I am not in any way supporting or justifying the safety nets go away. You know, the safety nets have to be there. It's the whole... It's, it's the way our country has always run, is that we want to have safety nets for people that are in hard times. So as you and I talk about this today, I want to make sure that this is not a compensation, this is not a justification for that happening. Mm-hmm. The safety nets need to be there. So I want to put that aside. And then we need to talk about how each individual going through a hard time can do it in a different way, even when it's hard and painful. I absolutely believe that individuals have a choice when they're going through hard times. Everybody goes through hard times. And we have a lot of hard times in our country right now because of the economy. 
And it's hard because it also is not as supported as it used to be. That speaks to the first issue we were talking about, which is this is not to justify taking away the safety net. But hard times, and I call them stack-up times, when a whole bunch of hard stuff happens and you don't even know which way to turn. And in the area of money, the anger and resentment and then fear that happens, because this is happening to you and it shouldn't be, has to be changed to where you say, this is happening to me. Now, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it with the highest level of creativity? How am I going to do this with the highest level of self-awareness, self, you know, being conscious in the moment, which is what we were talking about a couple minutes ago? How am I going to do this? Without going into fear, I call that a fetal position in the corner. You know, just like, oh, I give up. This isn't fair. This is all too scary. I'm just going to go away for a while. It's the passive way. About 80% of people respond passively to a challenge. Isn't that amazing? That's 80%. a huge number. Yeah, that is absolutely a huge number. The other 20% is split out almost evenly between people who do reactive response, which is, well, then I'm just going to jump off a cliff, <laughs> right? Or I'm going to use my or credit card and get pro- everything I want because I deserve yes, it. I'm just going to do it and forget it. And I, whatever happens, I don't care, right? right? And the other part is the proactive part, which is, all right, this is my life. I need to decide what to do and what do I have control over and what don't I have control over. But that is less than 10% of people. And my job a lot is to get people to be in that category, which is okay. There are two worlds when you have challenges. There's the internal world and there's the external world. External is things that are happening to you. Internal is how you respond to it. And so my work a lot is to help people to choose how they're going to respond to both. What am I going to do inside of me as a response to what's happening outside of me And how can I strategize to manage outside of me and stay in charge? It's to get out of that passivity and out of that reactivity. Fear is a passive response. Fear can also be a reactive response. Creativity, intelligence, is about being proactive and saying, all right, it's my life. Now what am I going to do? (laughs) Well, we can talk about some strategies, right? I definitely want to talk about some strategies, and I want to just say that what you just talked about, the internal versus the external, is Mm -hmm. the reason that you're on Healthy Options uh, uh, today, um, because this is really basically, in a lot of ways, a health issue in, in... Part of it is, right, and uh, it's a health issue in, just in terms of how we survive in, in our bodies, and it's a health issue um, in terms of how, as a culture, we, we survive. So I agree. Yeah. So um, if you've well, just... Well, this really is, you know, can I just say one thing please. on that is that, you know, I talk in here about the four facets. You know, I'm left brain, so it's left brain language, but it's the four facets, and, and they all have to be in balance. And it is emotional, your emotional life, your spiritual life, why am I here and what matters to me, your physical life, and your financial life. All four have to be in balance. And if they're not, something is going to go wrong. And at any one time in a person's life, something could be out of balance. And my job 
when one of these is out of balance, is to pull it back in balance again and say, okay, we need to have all four working. And so my job in life is to make sure my life is in balance. My job as a professional is to help people move financial into this balance with physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I absolutely, the longer I do this work, the more I passionately believe in this model, that this is what works. And so when people are looking at their lives and physically it's not working, they have to figure out what they're going to do to make that work. They can't just go past it. When spiritually they, it doesn't seem like it has any meaning, when they're emotionally, when they're feeling out of control or depressed, or, and financially, when it's just not working and they don't know how to make it work, they have to be able to get into that proactive state of mind and say, what am I going to do? My life has to work, for goodness sake. That's what I believe, Rhonda. So what, what does that mean to be in balance, and, and what, how do we change that? I, we, we, I, basically, what is our, the financial education we've received as, as children? And I know in your books you mm. talk about that, and uh, possibly not much. And uh, how, how well, do we educate ourselves? And well, what techniques you know, do we use? That's a very good question. We could spend hours on this one. Clearly. It's a very good question. But I'd also, and, you know, the, the, to the first question is, it's a self-awareness piece on which one is out of balance. And, and people have to be self-aware enough to be able to say, you know, I'm just not feeling right now. Who am good right now? Who am I going to go see? I wonder what's wrong. Or financially, things aren't working. How am I going to bring that back into being? Into, into balance, and I really do believe that the self-awareness at least pulls all four up in front of people, and then you can have something to work with. And even being willing to look at all four means we have someone that is being proactive. We have someone who has said, it's my life, I have to make it work. In the financial world, we did have money training as children. That's the whole premise of my work is that you were trained as a child on how to respond to money. It's emotional training. It isn't usually about counting. There are very few people that I have met in here that have had healthy money training, even in the counting area, (laughs) right? You know, we just aren't, you know. Sometimes parents try to do allowances, but they're not consistent, and I believe it would be better they didn't do it at all than to do it inconsistently, or they're used for punitive reasons, or they're take. Right. You know, money gets all messed up in family systems, mainly because parents, the parent, the mother or the father, is not aware of what she or he brings to it because he thinks that it's just about counting, and it isn't. It starts with emotions. And one of the things I do is I ask my clients, to, to do a little survey, and I have questions in my books, this little survey's in my books, and it's really, as a child, how did you get what you needed? You really had to have it. You had to have a pair of shoes to get to school. How did you get what you wanted? Which is a whole different feeling. You know, I'd like a bike. My friend Susie has a new bike, new red bike. I want one, too. What happened when you wanted something? What happened when there was power used in your house? Because money is a huge power tool in the society. People feel it all the time. What happened when someone said to you, no, you cannot do that? That's a power move. 
So it's, it's you know, there's a, a series of about 10 questions, and I ask my adult clients to answer them as if they were children to remember what happened because that training, and I call it training, was your first money training that absolutely impacts what you do with money as an adult. And for people to have that awareness and to be willing to look at that and work with it and say, oh, you know, there are a lot of people, for example, just to be simplistic here, that want to make everything a need. I just have to go on a vacation or I'm just not going to make it if I don't go on a vacation. Because as a child, needs were okay, but wants weren't. Does that make sense, Rhonda? Yes. So you reframe it in a way that satisfies all of those criteria of... Yes. Mm -hmm. And you don't end up in conflict. So you could give yourself permission to do it without a fuss. And what I do with clients is to say, you know, wants and needs are both important. Humans have to know that they can take care of their responsibilities. And humans, which is different from other animals, want to have choices, need to have choices. You know, I need to believe that I have some choices in my life, which are wants. And I believe that a healthy human has that in balance in their life, that they take care of their needs and they listen to their wants and they find a way to take care of their wants in a way that doesn't hurt them, right? So it's to teach them how to have this balance. The adults that I work with haven't learned this balance, haven't learned. They're afraid to say no to their wants because they're afraid that they're going to go into deprivation, which is a form of fear. So to protect themselves from deprivation, they get what they want, which, of course, sets them up for a different kind of fear, which is, how am I ever going to get out of this credit card debt? So this is, again, an internal and external um, situation here, the internal versus the external. Perfect. We are, uh, by the way, uh, you're tuned to WERU. If you've just come in, we're speaking with Ruth Hayden, the nationally recognized financial consultant, educator, and author from St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, here she is on Healthy Options today. We're speaking about financial health. So the internal and the external, the emotional aspect. And, and you know, this has come up in the, in the last few days because of what's happening all around, not only the last few days, last few months, about what's happening uh, in, in uh, our country, but here in, in Maine as well. And it reminds me of... Uh, one of uh, one one people who do have a main connection here, Francis Perkins, who worked so hard to create this kind of safety, this idea of needs being met, in a, at a time when that didn't exist. You know, we take it for granted that people worked eight-hour days or had weekends or the idea of relaxation, and that is that's also learned. And that's also been in our culture, and we take it for granted. But it was definitely something deliberately discussed as an idea of, of, um, of I think, really just what you're talking about. There was an idea that, well, people shouldn't, you know, when you work really hard, you should have what you need, a living wage, and you should have an idea of relaxation. And, and you know, those kinds of concepts, I think it fits right into what we're talking about um, on we can look at this on, on every level, on the individual, personal level, and also on the cultural, systemic, United States of America level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And since um, we're not in Washington or even at the Capitol in Maine, we really can't fix that, but we can fix the personal level. 
And mm. then when we fix the personal level and we feel strong in our lives, even when things are happening, we have a stronger voice out in the public, and we can impact change out there, including governmental. And that's the, I think that's the part, but if, if we're not, if we're feeling fearful, if we're scared, we're kind of not out there, we're just sad and complaining and stuck and afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't have a voice out in public either. So we start with, I believe we start with the individual voice, which is how can you work with yourself internally and what are some strategies for the problems you're facing externally and how are we going to get those done so you feel like your life, you're, you're in charge of your life even when it's hard and you're making it work even when it's hard. Your voice gets stronger and, you're, and it's louder and it, gets, it reaches a larger audience. So the, the impact is huge. And if you're afraid and kind of just hunkered down and feeling sorry for yourself because things are hard and they really are hard, then you don't have a voice out in public. So it is also around to how we change society. You know, that's not my job. My job is to help people make their lives work. But it also it, it creates change out in society because people are confident and they have stronger voices. Most people think they'll have a stronger voice when things get better. Right. And that's the passive. They don't understand that that's passive. We're waiting till something happens. You know that 80% of lottery winners are in bankruptcy in five years, and they were waiting for the lottery because they thought it would fix their lives. And people, 42% of people, that's their retirement plan, is they're planning to win the lottery. You know, there's, there's a... Which, you know, your chances of winning the lottery are as good whether you buy a ticket or not. That is true. The odds are against you. But even people who won, who everyone else would expect that their lives would be changed and everything would be fine, 80% of them are in bankruptcy in five years, which means it didn't change anything except for a moment because the internal didn't shift. If I have a belief that there's never enough money, I don't care how much money I get. There will never be enough money. And people who've never experienced there not being enough money don't believe that. They absolutely believe that the external will fix it. If I get a raise, then I can get out of credit card debt. If I can get a better job, if I win the lottery, if I you know, win whatever, somehow it's going to fix the internal. And, of course, it doesn't. So my job is to start with the internal and say, what do you bring to this? How can we have you where you feel like you're in charge, you're making decisions, and life is working? And now how are we going to strategize with the challenges you have out there? You know, how can we talk about, you know, how to get a better job? How can, nobody wants to be on these safety nets, these public assistance things. We need them, but nobody wants, they want to have their lives work. People don't want to be on them. People don't want to have to go get help. People would rather help themselves and feel really good about it. So how do we strategize getting a better job, getting um, a, a raise, getting rid of the credit card debt, managing the household budget better? That brain study I gave you at the beginning of this, you know, to spend money in cash keeps you internally and externally. That's the point of that internally and externally aware and in charge you literally save about 30 percent when you're when you're using cash even if you don't have as much money as you used to you will spend less 
and it works. So there are all kinds of strategies and techniques if you choose to make your life work. There are all kinds of strategies for you. So the first thing we're talking about is going on a cash economy. Well, the cash really, you know, people don't like cash. They no don't want to spend yeah. in cash because it make I believe, it's because it's logistically cumbersome. That is absolutely the truth. And it forces us, us to be incredibly conscious. You just have to be aware. And stores are working the opposite to keep you unaware. You know, they spend millions in marketing to make you want, need something that really is a want, and to let you go unconscious and stop thinking. And when you have cash, your experience, try it. Try it in a store that you usually shop at with a credit card. Bring cash next time, whether it's a grocery store or, you know, whatever store. Try it. And your experience in that store will be entirely different. It will not be as pleasurable. Now, when you leave, you will feel incredible about yourself. So after it's over, the experience is totally different. My clients tell me that they're so impressed with themselves, but in the middle of the store... With cash, it is not as pleasurable. It's kind of interesting. It really does change the entire experience. And from the brain studies, we find out that it's actually a brain activity. You know that when you use a credit card, it lights up the addictive part of the brain? Uh-huh. And when you use cash, it lights up kind of the part where when people insult you and things, you know, when you have bad feelings about things, <laughs> it lights up that part. That's the insula. You know, it's, it's just fascinating. It's an entirely different part of the brain. And that, and that coincides with what my clients tell me their experience is. And what I think, in the store, it's not as pleasurable because you're conscious, you're aware, you're counting, you're thinking. It's not pleasurable. It's, but when you leave, when you leave, every person says when they leave, they get in their car, they go, hey, I did it. I right. did it. Right. And they feel really good about themselves. And the, every study says you spend 30 to 36% less money when you use cash. Every study, whatever kind of a store you're in. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. I mean, that's a lot of money. So it gets into the loss part of ourselves. Yes. It's getting into this idea of deprivation. Now, what about this idea of, of what, would you say that the idea of fear or deserving or the anger that we described earlier, this shouldn't be happening to me, this isn't right, um, is that, that goes into the fear part. The other part well, of that is all, could also possibly be the, uh, the idea of, well, I'm not good enough, or the shame aspect of yeah. it, of yeah. not having enough, or feeling like you don't have enough. Or... Well, if you self-blame, then you'll go into shame. If you other blame, then you'll go into blame. You'll say it's all their far- fault. They're, they're screwing up the world. Excuse, that's a financial term. <laughs> you know, if you're used to shame, you'll say it's all my fault. There's something the matter with me. Whether you externalize shame or internalize shame, it will still make you stuck. And it's not a shame issue. Right. It's you know, not... and the fear part, you know, we, I, I absolutely believe, Rhonda, that fear is contagious. And it's like the flu. 
And I think it's like a general societal malaise. I think we are managed with fear, and I don't mean that as a conspiracy theory. I just mean it as people know that when people are afraid, they're less feisty. They're less verbal. They're quieter. They're more insular. They don't, what's what we were talking about earlier, they don't have a big voice. And so there are a lot of people that would prefer if, if we were afraid and quiet. And I believe that healthy anger is actually one of the antidotes to this. Anger that says not rage, because that's fear. Rage is just out of control. But anger, which is, okay, that's enough. That's anger. That's enough. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to make this work. This is ridiculous. All right. It's time. And that is a kind of focused emotion that is healthy. But fear, shame, deprivation is just a form of fear. That's all it is. We're afraid we can't get what we want. We're afraid we don't deserve what we want. You know, it does, it's just fear. So anything that smells of fear, we need to pay attention to. Fear is useful, I believe, here's my pragmatic self, for about 30 seconds. You know, if, if you're in the car and there's a truck coming at you, you need to be afraid. <laughs> you know, that's healthy. So you can maneuver, right? Right. But fear that lasts longer than about 30 seconds is controlling you, makes you feel powerless, and messes with your thinking. You don't strategize well when you're in fear. And strategy, when things are going hard, we have to keep thinking. And if you go into fear instead, change the fear to anger, which that's enough. That's just enough. Now what am I going to do? That's anger. That's healthy anger. And now we're in a, in a healthy action mode. But fear of any kind, pay attention, and if it lasts longer, my rule is if it lasts longer than 30 seconds, it's got you. <laughs> and it's impacting your life negatively, unhealthily. How about that? I think this is something to definitely sit with for a moment, and I'll let people consider that while I tell everyone that you are listening to WERU 89.9 FM. And I'm Rhonda Feynman. This is the Healthy Options Program. Our guest today is Ruth Hayden. And uh, she's a financial educator, consultant, and author. We're exploring the tricky and emotionally loaded arena in which money issues run rampant. Okay. Ruth is offering us some insight and wisdom on how to manage in this time of financial challenges and uh, how to work with the idea of getting out of our fear. 30 seconds of the healthy uh, nervous system, what we know is the amygdala, the nervous system flight and fright response. 30 seconds is healthy, and then after that, we're being controlled by our fear. What, what else can we do? We, we talked that's about... That's a good baseline. Don't you think that's a good baseline? I think it's I a mean, to, terrific one. Yeah, because there are reasons where you have to pay attention when you feel fear. So you really have to check it out. Oh, yes. But then to, to play in it work in it. It really is controlling you, and people don't even realize it's controlling them. And once you understand this, when you're out and about or listening to your friends, or you'll hear it all over. The language is fear. You know, it's fear, which is, I can't do this. It's too hard. Bad things are going to happen. This is worse than it's ever been. It's never been this bad in this economy. Really horrible things are going to happen. You know, it's, it's that language. And what that person is telling you is that he or she is controlled by fear. And when you translate it that way, 
it is not contagious anymore. But when you start to feel it, saying, oh, maybe it is worse than it's ever been. Maybe we are all doomed. Maybe this is, oh, my goodness, this is just terrible. This is never going to get any better. You are now, you have, you have now gotten the flu, the fear flu. And so when you listen to it and you say, oh, my goodness, that's just fear. And he is telling me that he is controlled by fear. And I'm not going to be. It, it gives you a perspective that is incre- that's the internal piece now, where you really are in charge of how, what you're going to say and what you're going to do. It's really rather, it's really empowering, Rhonda. It's really, you know, my clients who work with this tell me how empowering it is. It really does work. It's easy, you know, when people are feeling broke. And right now, lots of people are feeling broke, where they want to read a study broke. about... They are broke, some people. Well, there's three kinds of broke. And I think that it's important that people differentiate which one it is. Because sometimes people are, their whole lives, they're broke. Whatever that's happening in the economy, they're just broke. They're always saying, I don't have enough money. There just isn't enough money. That's kind of the normal broke. And there are people that have this as a lifetime pattern no matter what's going on. They go from paycheck to paycheck. It's never quite enough. They go and they slide into some credit card debt, right? Yeah. Then there's crisis broke. And that's if you've had a job loss or an illness. It's an emergency. Something bad has just happened. That's external now. Something has happened. And we really don't have any money and we're broke. I call that crisis broke. And then there's lifestyle broke. Lifestyle broke is like the college student. She's just broke after a divorce. A lot of, lot of women in particular, the studies say, are broke after a divorce. Retirement, when they haven't planned and they, they just said, I, I'm going to retire at 62. I always said I was going to retire at 62. It's just going to have to work. And then they're broke. Fastest growing bankruptcy rate right now are 65 and over, and most of that's health care, and that's a whole other program. Right? <laughs> That's right. But I like to separate it because some of this broke is just normal broke. People have always been broke. They've always done paycheck to paycheck. They've always kind of slid in and out of credit card debt. They've always said, oh, there's just not enough money. And, you know, that's just normal broke. And I want to separate that, which is a, that is a pattern. That is a pattern from crisis broke, mm-hmm. which is something bad just happened. And we better start strategizing quickly because this is frightening. What are we going to do? That's a truck coming toward us. So Does that makes sense. Yes, yeah. and I think that we are seeing more people in the crisis broke. I or agree. At least, and 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 the reality is that it, you know it's a different kind of job market. Wages have gone down. People are who are. I, I was just reading. Uh, of a community. This is very interesting. Uh, it was a rabbi in Atlanta, I believe. Um, it's a very orthodox community, and the people who uh, were part of his congregation were usually in middle class and uh, making a little bit more money. And because of the economy, there people who were making $175,000 a year, a lot of money, were all of a sudden not, and literally were needing to um, to get help. Yeah, and and there so there are two things. Um, and what he was doing was looking at something that his father did 50 years ago in Brooklyn, which was it was uh, a, a special kind of loan program. And it was actually based on, on a tradition uh, in, in the culture of doing small loans to people quietly. Mm-hmm. And it was a way of saving face 
Um, and I don't think it was doing any of the education that we're talking about, but it was a sense of, of a community holding. Yeah, I think that's incredible. Yeah. That's and a fabulous idea. But they've, they've realized that microloans of any kind work for people because they're motivating. They realize what a gift it is. And so whether we're talking about trying to get your own little business started or trying to, you know, pay your mortgage for another month, to, you know, to try to find a job, you know, that, he's brilliant. Yeah. The rabbi's brilliant because that's what needs to be done and still save the pride, you know, the sense of self. I, I, it's really interesting. You know, we can look at studies and we can either decide to let it motivate us. I mean, every study for the middle class right now is very concerning. And, you know, when you factor in inflation, middle class is losing ground, not just because of the job loss, but just people that have had jobs are losing ground. And the challenge is, two. One is, how do we hold ourselves internally so that we still are in charge of our lives and our thinking and strategizing and not just going passive? And two is, what can we do externally, whether it's external looking for a job or external, you know, emailing your congresspeople, you know, keep right. on your, you know, when, when my clients start talking to, to me about, you know, the leadership in this country, the Congress leadership and things, you know, I say, you know, you don't need to talk to me about this. You know, put their emails on the desktop. And email them. Or call you know, them up. Talk yeah. to the people who have the ability to change things and let them know you're paying attention and you want something different. And if everybody did that, we would impact our society. Instead, we fuss among ourselves. That's fear and that's the flu. And if we can say, no, 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 I am going to take that to where I know there might be some impact of change. Meanwhile, I will make my life work. If people can do this, Everything changes, Rhonda, even before they get a better job. It's really true. So let's, let's talk another specific. How, how yes. in, in your classes, uh, you know, we're, we're talking for another 20 minutes, but your yes. classes go on uh, for weeks, right, for a number of months. How, yeah, a couple how, of classes, five, and women's is seven weeks. Okay. Yes. So how do we start, you know, playing with that internal that internal script and, and start well, shifting it so that we can feel that kind of empowerment and that idea. You know, it's interesting. Is that I tell the clients, my clients in the classes, that my classes really need emotional intelligence from them. And, you know, you can read books on emotional intelligence, and there are all kinds of ways to describe it, but there's the intellectual intelligence, which has to do with strategizing, and then there's the emotional intelligence that has to do with the self. And the way I define emotional intelligence is there's three skills. And, of course, I'm a teacher, so I think everything is a skill <laughs> that can be practiced, okay? So sure. this isn't about was I bestowed at birth with a pile of emotional intelligence. These are skills that can be practiced. I know that. Yes. So the first skill is self-awareness. Do I understand myself? Do I understand why I make the decisions that I do. That's that need and want childhood history thing. You know, why do I make everything a need? Why do I feel deprived when I can't get everything I want rather than feel safer because I'm not overspending? Why do I do what I do? And it's asked from a self-knowledge point of view. So self-awareness is the first skill. 
the second skill is self-containment. Self-containment, cash needs the skill of self-containment. If I'm going to use cash in a store, I better know how to contain myself because if I can't contain myself, I will need to use a credit card and just get what I think I want. So self-containment. Can I manage my own emotions? Can I manage my behavior? And it, again, this is not about perfection. This is about practicing the skills of. And then the third one is how am I going to communicate to others? Whether it's my partner, how am I going to, because money is the primary reason that couples fight and they split up. It's, you know, how am I going to communicate with my partner? How am I going to communicate with Congress people? You know, how it's a communication with others. So I am very adamant in my class that this is classes that this is where it starts is that you have to be willing to practice the skills of emotional intelligence and I name them as three skills you can name them whatever you want to but we work with these three skills self-awareness self-containment and communication and so that's where you start and then in that process of practicing which is a lifetime endeavor okay this is about lifetime you set up strategies and then do them. And when you don't do them, you come back to the emotional intelligence rather than saying, oh, I knew I was just going to mess it up and I'm just failing and I know I'm not disciplined enough and something's wrong with me. That's, that's irrelevant. We go back to what did I miss about myself that made me trip over myself, right? And now how am I going to do, understand myself differently and how am I going to teach myself to contain myself differently. And we, so we come back. So it's always going back and forth between management of self, understanding and management of self, and the tools. What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to work with cash this week and see what happens. <clears throat> I'm going to go down to the workforce center and see what is available there. I'm going to see if there are classes at community ed that I can take that would get me into another field. I'm going to pick up a second job, especially at the holiday season right now. I have several clients that have picked up second jobs as a way to throw it at credit card debt, you know, something to feel like they're getting ahead, knowing that it's temporary, knowing that this is not the way they want their lives. But what can I do to move my financial life forward, even in challenging times? That, and it's emotional intelligence, it's the skills of emotional intelligence and the strategies, the actual financial strategies. Emotional intelligence is the internal world. The financial strategies are the external world. We have both of them going at the same time. So, Long answer to a short question, uh, right, it's Rhonda? A, it's a great answer. And the other piece is, um, is, and as you're doing the strategies, when the external Yes. Impact makes an impact. I can't find the second job. I, you know, yes. that kind of thing. Then you that, say, so what am I going to do? What's what the next else thing? What else can I do? Right. Yes, what else can I do? And even for people that are going through great loss because of this, you know, they're going to lose their house, you know, to do it strategically, get, to get professional help, every state has some kind of a home ownership cent, you know, center where they will help you work your way through it. So you, if you have to do that, you can do it as smartly as possible. So you can take, if you're going to suffer the loss, then for goodness sakes, find the advantage. You know, there's always an upside to a really big downside. And to find that, 
so that you don't just feel totally victimized and go passive. I mean, in everything that you do, every decision you make, there are, there's an upside and downside. And most people, when they're scared and they're feeling really mm, in trouble or broke, see only the downside. There's also an upside. And to find that upside, and my language would be to capitalize on it, to take advantage of it, to work with it, so that you get something out of it, will make you feel better. And actually, you'll get something out of it. There are ways to strategize even big losses in such a way that there is a positive in them. And I think that's important because it balances it. It doesn't make up for it, but it balances it a little bit. And I think that's important. I think it's really important that that we maintain that idea of understanding what's happening internally mm-hmm. um, and the idea of the strategizing. And I think that's, a, from what I hear, and, and is that is a piece that's, that's missing for uh, a, a lot of people because of the the message of fear that yes, that is out in the world and that is so pervasive it's 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 very hard to listen to the radio to read the newspaper to be online and hear things and to understand that despair and i i think the the idea that 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 there is a larger impetus to keep us fearful or to keep that emotion moving because it disempowers is a very interesting um, something to contemplate as we move forward with our financial uh, choices. Well, I think, you know, the reason that I mentioned that is actually to try to help people get a little healthy anger, which breaks the fear. You know, this is all about self-management now and emotional intelligence and the internal but one of the reasons why I suggest that to some people is because I want to spark them up a little bit because fear really does create passivity. It creates resentment. It creates, it just, and then we just complain and dust, and then it gets bigger than it is, and it's all, we're all doomed, right? But Trauma. a little healthy anger breaks that fear, and a little healthy anger is, you know, lots of people are really happy that you're scared to death and powerless and passive because then you don't have a voice. And it's kind of like, huh? I mean, come on. And, 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 and I think that's healthy. And yep. directing that anger in, in, in the proper place, because we do yep. know that that's when domestic violence and abuse Absolutely. happens yep. because things get turned inward, and that anger is, is not the healthy anger. It's, it's, a, it's a different kind of, of thing. I call that, that rage. The rage that's out of mm-hmm. control, and then... Yep disempowers everybody even further. We're not talking about rage. And this is a hard concept, especially for women, because most women have experienced rage. And it's, it's frightening, and it's, it, they don't want to be in any category near that. And so when I first suggest that anger is healthy, and that, you know, when women get angry, they cry. They get sad. When men get sad, they get angry. It's our socialization as male and female. It's kind of interesting. You kind of watch for that. And so I tell women that when you feel anger, let's hold it as healthy anger, not as sadness and not as rage, but as healthy anger, which is that's enough. That's enough. 
I'm done. It, that's anger. Honest to goodness, that's anger. And if you, people can hold that anger, and women can understand that it's not rage because it's not going to hurt anyone. Rage usually hurts someone. And it's not, we're not going to go over in a corner and just cry because that's passive. It is about that's enough. I'm okay. I'm done. I'm going to do something now. And when people understand how healthy anger is, because it's such a focused emotion, rage is sloppy and hurts someone, and, and sadness, and, you know, that's internal. But rage, which is, all right, it's time. I'm ready. Let's do something. That, now we get into strategy. Strategy. And it really works, Rhonda. And it's really true. And people feel so strong and so empowered. And then they will develop the email list <laughs> and start emailing people. And they won't be part of conversations because the ability, this is the self-containment now, which I call the second skill of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. is that when they hear a conversation and their friends are all talking fear language, you know, which is, oh, I don't know, you know, this is, and then I heard, and I think, and then, oh, I don't know. They identify it as fear rather than playing in it. That is so empowering. So being able to feel anger, not rage, anger, right? And being able to identify fear without catching the fear, which is the flu, right? And just (laughs) naming it and saying, oh, my goodness, they're really scared, aren't they? And separating yourself from it. It's like wearing a mask. (laughs) When someone has a a contagion of some kind, you are protected from it. That really is, those two things in themselves, internally, are very powerful. And then we can strategize, and then the strategies will hold. Because when you're in fear, the strategies, you know, even when you have an investment strategy, you're putting money and you have a plan, you can't hold it if you're in fear. Your emotions are holding your intellect hostage, and you can't think. You just can't think, and you make bad decisions. So when you can stay thinking, managing the emotions, it's the best of both worlds, even when times are really hard. Hmm. We're listening, uh, you're listening to Healthy Options on WERU. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Our guest today is Ruth Hayden, the nationally recognized financial consultant, educator, and author from St. Paul, Minnesota. You can reach uh, Ruth at um, ruthhayden.com. That's R-U-T-H-H-A-Y-D-E-N.com. And uh, we are talking about financial health, staying strategizing, staying in the moment, the present moment with money, and how to overcome the fear. I want to go back to, uh, we, we have a, a few minutes left, but those four facets of our lives in balance. And, and I think that's what, you, when we were just talking about that healthy anger, the emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial. Yes. Those, I just want to say that again, that we forget that the financial is all part of everything that we're talking about of living a balanced life, even in hard times. Well, you know, it's really interesting because there are people that are incredibly self-aware emotionally and spiritually. And there are people that take, that listen to your program and take very good care of their physical body. And somehow they think that they can be in fear flu and it won't impact the other three. And of course it does. Fear is an emotion. 
And so it's really interesting in their money. And, and it's really interesting how we really do separate the financial from this balance of the other three. It really is interesting. And I know this isn't a theory. I absolutely know after all these years in this business, I know that you cannot separate money from the other three, that if money is not working and if you're in fear about money, it's going to throw the other three. It absolutely will throw your physical health. It absolutely will throw your spiritual and emotional health. And so it, it is a decision to find a way to hold all four. There are people listening right now, Rhonda, that have had enormous physical challenges, and they've had to find a way to feel like they can manage it, <clears throat> even while they're holding financial, emotional, and spiritual. I mean, it, there, you can have a crisis in any of these four, and it can be problematic. And the challenge is how do I bring that back into balance during a crisis? And we're talking about today financial crisis. So it really is important, and it really does work. And then we have healthy living. Then the statement healthy living really is about healthy living because it is four facets of healthy living. So, you know, in, in different traditions, again, people live, uh, work very hard to have a consciousness of being this is what is. Right. To do this is the way it is without judgment and without that all the other ideas that we put on top of what's happening is something, as I said, that many traditions work with for people no matter what is happening in their lives. So you are taking this and saying, well, let's add this. That uh, it, It's not an acceptance. It is an acceptance. This is what's happening. It's not an acceptance as in this is the way it has to be. It's just, a, 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 right. it's just getting the emotional fuss around it to quiet down so that you can strategize. Acceptance is different than passivity. That's right. We have to split that. That's right. Passivity is, oh, well, oh, this is all I can do right now. That's passivity. Acceptance is, okay. You know, all right, now what am I going to do? It's and the other really a very powerful place, acceptance is. The other piece is, is when, when you're in the acceptance, this is what's happening right now. May not be what I think I wanted. May not be what I would choose. May not be what I want. But this is the what it is. And that I, that's, almost, that's quieting to the nervous system. Yeah. Well, the body settles down. And you know more about this than I do in the field you're in. You know, literally, you can see it in a person when you say, okay, you know, this is what, now what am I going to do? The, everything settles down. The four facets settle down. They settle down. It's, the emotional. It's, it's just, yes. The spirit, because it, it's when you speak truth to yourself, and that's the second skill of emotional intelligence, contain yourself in a sense of saying, okay, I have to do something now. It, it's everything settles down, and then you can think. You know, my job with clients is to get them to think and strategize. They can't do that if their emotional, spiritual, physical selves are not on board. We have to hold them all, and this, because the strategies won't work. They, have, they will not hold. And as a teacher, 
you know, I want the strategies to work because that's what gives me pleasure, which is, oh, my goodness, you know, they're changing. They're, they're growing. It's like we're going from third grade to fourth grade now. This is good, right? And it's, it's really fun. Every client, every person I've ever worked with, I tell them they have one thing in common because my clients are all very different from each other, wide spectrum. I say their lives did not turn out the way they thought they would. Hmm. Something in your life did not turn out the way you thought it would. Because if it had turned out, if your life was working exactly the way you thought it should and would, I would never meet that person because they'd be out there blissfully enjoying their life. Right? So my job is to say it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. That's what life is. You know, the only thing we're certain of is uncertainty. Now let's deal with it. What are we going to do? And, and that is the the empowerment for people is to realize no matter what they're going through, they have choices. They absolutely have choices over managing their internal emotional self and managing and working with the external. You know, my daughter, who is a first-grade teacher and has two little kids and working on her master's, is a little overwhelmed in her life. One day she called me very upset, and she said, it just wasn't working, and then she tried this and this and this and this, and, and it didn't work, and I said, Sweetheart, you're not even halfway through the alphabet yet. Plan A, plan B, plan C. <laughs> you know, just keep moving. You know, your life has to work. Keep moving. You know, now what can you try? Now what can work? Because you can't quit. So you just keep moving. You can't know, contingency quit. planning. You can't quit. This is your life. There you, you can't go. Quit. Well, and that's... that's the piece that's empowering. That is great, Ruth. And we have been, uh, we're just about out of time here. Um, I'm Rhonda Feynman. We've been listening to Ruth Hayden, nationally recognized financial consultant, educator, author from St. Paul, Minnesota. She's written four books on women and money, couples and money, workbook, and a hands-on approach to learning about money. And you can get more information about her at ruthhayden.com. This will be archived if you want to uh, hear it again, weru.org. Ruth Hayden, thank you so much for being with us here. And, thank uh, you for asking me, Rhonda. It has been great. a pleasure. I want to thank uh, Petra Hall for co-producing, and I want to thank Amy Brown for engineering. And uh, once again, this is WERU 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, weru.org, and I'm Rhonda Feynman. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for On the Wing. It's all happening here on WERU. Thanks so much. Support for WERU Health Relations.